All right, guys, let's um, look back at uh, Romans chapter 12. And um, in a lot of ways, I want to say, although I'm not sure I can live up to my own hype, but uh, of all the Wednesday nights that you've chosen to come, this is perhaps the most important one for you to be here. Um, Because if if I can successfully communicate this, which... Not sure I can, but um, if I can, it, it'll it'll change your approach to um, the whole way. Well, it shouldn't change it. It just should help you in your living out um, <clears throat> the living out of the Christian life. And I, I hope you'll see that before we're finished. When Jesus was standing in front of uh, Pontius Pilate, he engaged in a dialogue. Much the much of that evening, he spent dodging questions. He never answered some of them. <clears throat> but um, Pontius Pilate um, asked him a few questions that he did answer. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Oh, gosh. What is truth? Folks, um, according to Romans chapter 12 in verse 2, the very heartbeat of Christian living has to do with the integration of truth into um, every nook and cranny of our lives. Uh, we're in verse 2. We looked at the first clause last week, which was negative where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Then he comes to the positive. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Tonight I get the privilege of of trying to um, explain to you in a way that would could really change the way you approach this whole... Christian life, that that one clause right in the center, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. <clears throat> Jesus came to witness and give bear witness to truth. And then he says, or through the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that transformation occurs by mind renewal. <clears throat> Guys, the word transformed, let, let's just go over a little bit of um, boring stuff. The, the Greek word is um, metamorpho, me- metaphor, uh-oh, actually. Um, it's from the word we get our English word metamorphosis. It's in the uh, second person plural, indicative imperative, or uh, present imperative, <clears throat> which means, in essence, it's keep on being transformed or keep on having your mind transformed. It's an ongoing, um, often repeated process of renewing the mind. <clears throat> Being conformed is something that happens to you from the outside in. Transformation is something that happens from the inside out. Um... Buddhism, but I don't think Buddhism is alone in this, 
Buddhism tells you to leave your mind behind. Christianity says that the very heartbeat of transformation involves your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, those few words, um, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, is the heart and soul of the issue of known as sanctification. If you know what sanctification is, the guts of it, the guts of sanctification are summarized for you in that one clause. But be ye being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, folks. Um, now, make sure you understand this. This has nothing to do with being an intellectual. I mean, Presbyterians, of which I happen to be one, <coughs> are thought of as being the, um, the, uh, the thinkers of the, the Christian spectrum. This has nothing to do with being an intellectual. Augustine said this about John's gospel, about the gospel of John. And I love this quote. Augustine said, John's gospel is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. Folks, this is not about you being uh, an intellectual elite. What it's about is the governing influence of your mind is being reoriented by intersecting and integrating truth. Um, my, my whole way of seeing, my whole imagination is captured by this thing that Jesus came to give witness to. The truth. The culture may want to be mindless. That's their business. Christians. Us. We're supposed to be thinking people. People who are working through the complexities of life by having our minds saturated, massaged by truth. Now, guys, what does that say to us about this whole issue of sanctification? I've got five things, and I'm telling you, you need to know all five of them. What does this text tell us? Does everybody know what sanctification is? I mean, do I need to, um, just, just for the sake of, let me not be very ugly. Um, you know, I became a Christian in September of 1970. I'm going to die in April of, of 2021. That's when I go to heaven. All right. This is why I became a Christian. This is when I was justified. This is when I was glorified. And everything in between those two points is sanctification. Everybody got that? You got to understand. What does this text have to do with that? Critical, ladies and gentlemen, that you understand this. I'm telling you, I can't overstate. I'm, I'm a master of overstatement, but that's not an overstatement. <clears throat> all right, first of all, five things. What this text means in terms of sanctification is this. Number one, don't start with your conduct. What? I mean, I, I thought sanctification was about my conduct. Well, sort of. 
But ladies and gentlemen, you and I must never think of the of, of, of Christian living as some kind of conduct shift. Christian living is not moral reform. Christian living is not about changing your outsides. This is not a behavior modification program that we're in. Sanctification is not modification of your behavior. So when it comes to this process known as sanctification, you do not start with your conduct. You know, guys, um, people come to me every now and then because they're desperate. They've, they can't afford the really good guys like Chris Carey, so they come to me. Poor souls. But they, they come to me to talk about a specific sin. They're wanting help over this specific sin. And the first thing that I try to say to them is, forget the sin. Don't concentrate. Don't look at it. We're not, we're not here to talk about your sin. Christianity is not a reformation of behavior. It is a transformation of your character so that we cannot start from the outside in. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the classic mistake of the Pharisees. They thought this whole thing was outside in. And so every time Jesus would have supper with some unclean people, they'd say, oh, no, Jesus is getting all that dirt on him. You don't want to mess with those people because some of that stuff might get on you. Because their whole idea was, if I can modify my behavior on the exterior, that's it. No, ladies and gentlemen, sanctification does not start with your conduct. So if you're dealing with some kind of wrestling with... I've struggled as to what examples to use all day long. But... You're struggling with pornography. Well, they say three out of ten men in the Christian church are going to websites they shouldn't go to. You don't start with the pornography. That's not what you concentrate on, folks. This is not about outside in. It's about inside out. You don't start with conduct. That's number one. Number two. We start... With thinking. And be ye being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Gang, you have got to see this. So open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because Paul does this in a brilliant way. And in a more expansive way. And we're going to read a little bit of this. Okay. Verse 17. Ephesians four seventeen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay. In the futility of their minds. Do you see that? If you end up walking like a Gentile, it's because you are possessed with some kind of futility in your mind. They are darkened in their understanding. Wait a minute. It doesn't say they do bad things down at Beale Street on Saturday nights. No. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Keep reading. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self acceptance. Now here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. You saw all that stuff, that uh, minds, minds, minds. He never gets to behavior until verse 25. Verse 25, he tells you, stop lying, just tell the truth. But before he takes you to that piece of conduct, he says that the issue at hand, the issue at stake is there is a certain futility of your mind. Guys, as non-Christians that all of us used to be, I became a Christian when I was 22. As a non-Christian, we had, we had lost our true minds. The mind needs to be restored to the position that, that it was formerly in, that is, prior to the fall. But this does not mean that regeneration makes everybody a genius. It simply means that I get the ability to reason. I get the ability to wrestle with truth. I get the ability to be logical, sequential in my thinking. Guys, non-Christians can have great brains, and a lot of them do. Richard Dawkins has a great brain. But after the fall of Genesis chapter 3, do you remember what? What the assessment of all of mankind is in chapter 6, verse 5 of the book of Genesis. Genesis 6, 5. It's only three chapters after the fall. And it says, in every intent of the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. Every intent of the thoughts because that's where you go wrong, ladies and gentlemen. You don't start with the outside. You start with the inside. You start with your thinking. And that's got to be reoriented. The, the imagination has to be captured. Here's the third point. This is real brief. Three is... Folks, the book of Proverbs says... That as a man thinketh, so is he. Thinking controls your actions. So if there's a pornography problem, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to address it. We'll get to it later. The first thing that I have to address is the futility of your mind. What is it that has led you to long for that? instead of something real. Thinking controls actions. Fourth. Gang. 
If you do this, stop it. This is not what you say to a new Christian. Now listen here. Now that you're a Christian, here's what Christians do. We go to church, we give up smoking, and we, we, um, we give money. And you can sing in the choir if you like. That's not what we do, ladies and gentlemen. We don't talk to them about certain behaviors that they need. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest complaint, the greatest opposition to Christianity is not that it's not true. The greatest opposition to Christianity is that it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because we have warped minds about what's, how it's supposed to flesh itself out. We don't start with the behavior. We come to a new Christian and we say, okay, you know what this means, don't you? We're going we're gonna to give you a, a set of new rules. No, ladies and gentlemen. You don't say that to If you do, stop it. We say something like this. Listen, friend. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been made new. You are a new creation in Christ. And because you are, remember who you are. Go back to the gospel that has, that has captured you in terms of forgiveness of sin. Go back to the gospel and drink more fully at its well. Go back and rehearse who you are now that you have come to Christ. Guys, it's the difference. I mean, I've used this illustration before, but when we lived in Florida, I tried my darndest to grow a grapefruit tree. On three separate occasions, I tried to grow a grapefruit tree. And I wanted grapefruit in my yard. I didn't know that you never put a grapefruit tree in your front yard. You always put it under lock and key in the backyard. Well, I put one in the front yard. That was my first part. And, and I had this grapefruit. And when we left on vacation, I had a month back then, but um, it, was, it, was, it was getting nice and looked like a grapefruit. I came home and somebody had ripped my one grapefruit off of that tree and destroyed the whole tree. So here's what I did. I went to the grocery store and I bought myself a a a um a bag of fr- grapefruits and I went out into my front yard with a staple gun and some electrical tape and I and I attached those things to and now hallelujah I have a grapefruit tree you know how silly that is don't you It's the same thing that we're doing with non-Christians. Okay, tack this one on. Kind of staple this one on that arm, would you? And get you some tape and put that church attendance thing on that other leg. Just kind of, just kind of hook it on there real good. And you'll be fine. No, ladies and gentlemen. The issue has to do with the new creation that I am because of the rebirth. So go back and review the benefits of the gospel for you. Fifth. Beliefs, folks, are the rails upon which our lives run. 
we, we almost always act according to what we believe. Tonight, I have on a tie and a starch shirt and some fairly clean pants. They were clean until Ann got a hold of them, and now they're saturated with something that came from her mouth. Um, but I, I dressed a certain way to come here. I didn't have my, I don't have my pajamas on. I'm not in workout gear. I'm not in a t-shirt. Because there's a certain belief system that I have that says, when it comes to an occasion like this, I need to dress in a certain way. Folks, normally, we always act according to a belief system, to what we believe. That's why behavior is such a good indicator of one's belief system. Because you are acting in accord with what you believe. When I become a Christian, those belief systems have to be reconstructed. And how do I do that? a book. Ladies and gentlemen, the non-Christian world disdains what we are. They look at us and say, is that the best you got to offer? Your divorce rate is a little bit higher than ours. I mean, you got three out of ten of your people in pornography. We only got four out of ten. Is that all you got to offer? Because, guys, we have not made it our life's work to reorient and renew the mind according to the truth of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a book of sermons that preachers get to preach out of. It's the very mind of God as black words on a white page And I am supposed to labor from the time I become a Christian, bringing my whole thought process in accord with what I find being taught and said here. And to the degree that I do that, my life starts looking like this. That's how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. To be renewed. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There is no shortcut to that. Well, I, I should say this. The other thing that God uses is pain. But in the midst of the pain, oh my friend, you better start wondering what God has to say about your pain. Or it'll, it'll drive you crazy. The only thing that will enable us to it, to endure our struggles, is knowing certain things and certain promises that God has given us in here. Or I could go get me a self, get me a, get myself a fifth of scotch. Maybe that'll help me endure my pain. Or I can learn to think according to the precepts and the truth that Jesus said He came to bear witness unto. You don't start with conduct, ladies and gentlemen. You start with thinking. You start with thinking because. As I think, 
I act because my belief system is my are the rails upon which my life is lived out. I want to close with an illustration, a, a relatively long illustration. And I have, I have thought about this thing for four days, three days. Guys, what I want to do with you is I want to walk you through a counseling situation. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you all about Carrie Evans when she came to see me the other day in my counseling. I'll tell you about all her problems. So. <clears throat> I, I thought at one time, I thought... I will, I will just give you one of my case studies out of my own counseling experience. And I thought, I better not do that. They'll think I'm divulging some kind of secret or something. So I've come up with one that has nothing to do with any of you. But I think it works. Stay with me. Um, have any of you seen the movie Freedom Riders that starred Hilary Swank? Anybody? There's about five hands that saw Freedom Riders. With Hillary Swank. I loved Hillary Swank ever since I saw her in Million Dollar, Million Dollar Baby. She was the boxer. She won an Academy for that. So, um, I don't know if I told you this or not, but my kids for my Father's Day present gave me a Netflix subscription, which was really a nice gift, which I probably will never get again because I don't like it. But, but anyway, um, but now that I got it and it's paid for, I got to use it. So I ordered this Freedom Riders movie. And so what I do most Mondays is that I get up and kind of, you know, I'm off on Mondays. I kind of, you know, clean up the house, kitchen, bedrooms, do the wash, ironing and all that. Um, (laughs) Just a joke, Sue. Um, I kind of laze about and then I go work out. And then I come home and I eat some lunch and, and I get cleaned up and I watch a movie that I ordered from Netflix. Well, this Monday was Freedom Riders. It's a true story. Did you know that true story? It's a true story about a little teacher whose name is Aaron Gruel, who is teaching out in California, Long Beach, California. And she is given a bunch of students who are convicts. And um, they're, they're Latinos, they're Asians, they're blacks. There's one white guy in the class. And she's this idealistic new teacher and she's going to come in and change the world and and, you know, she comes the first day and they just do horrible things to her. And, and um, it's, you know, it's, she's dealing with criminals. And there's all this racial tension in the room. You know, Hispanics versus blacks and blacks versus Asians and Asians versus Hispanics and whites. And it's just a terrible uh, scene. And, and through telling the story about the Holocaust, she grabs their imagination. And as a result... Um, Um, she transforms their lives, makes them brand new. Now, in the the picture, there is a father, her father. She's frequently having supper with her father, who back in the civil rights movement of the 60s, he was what was known as a freedom rider, R-I-D-E-R. Not writer, W-R-I-T, but a freedom rider. And she was very proud of her daddy that he had stood up for the racial inequities in this country. And so she gets, she captures these kids, she finds a way to make them listen, and I'm telling you, it just 
it just goes from one victory to the next victory, and they end up in hiring, bringing the lady over that hid Anne Frank, and um, you know they read the Anne Frank story, and it's just a sweet, sweet story. But in the midst of all this, her husband divorces her. That's a true story. That's, I mean, I, I googled it. Did you know I could do that? <laughs> um, a true story. I even saw Aaron's picture and all that business. <clears throat> but her husband divorces her, and you know why he divorces her? He says, well, all you can talk about is those kids. She took two extra jobs, one at a hotel and one, uh, oh, she was selling lingerie. Um, and then all, she, she was never home. She came home late. All she could talk about these kids. Finally, she comes home one night and the guy says, I've had it. I'm leaving you. I'm divorcing you. And he divorced her. Now, guys, here's where I'm going to take some liberties with the movie. What I'm about to do with that movie is not in the movie. I'm making this up, okay? Just for illustration purposes for you. Let's imagine for the moment that the movie is not about those kids, but it's about saving that marriage. Okay? And so Aaron Gruwell comes to your office oh, Christian counselor that you are. And she says, I'm a workaholic. I've destroyed my marriage. How can you help me? What do you do, ladies and gentlemen? Armed with what I've simply taught you tonight, where do you go? Well, Aaron, here's what you need to do. Quit those two jobs. Quit those two jobs and, and uh, you know, um, um, you might need to resign from the school. What do you do, ladies and gentlemen? How do you help Aaron Gruel get, get beyond her workaholism? You don't start with the workaholism, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, again, I'm just making all this up just for illustrative purposes. But in the movie, this is really in the movie, she had this desire to please her daddy because he was a freedom rider in the civil rights movement. So she really wanted to please her daddy and so she was thinking all she was doing. She has supper with him all the time and he's saying catty little things and she's broken hearted over it. <coughs> because, Aaron, for you, your whole sense of worth, your whole sense of identity is wrapped up in gaining your daddy's approval. So for you, if you can get your daddy's approval, then you have worth. And the way that you're trying to get your daddy's approval is do something as significant and as meaningful as he did back in the civil rights movement. Aaron, honey, your worth is not bound up on your daddy's being happy with you. Do you not understand who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you not see that your value is intact, whether your daddy approves of you or not? Aaron, go back to the gospel. Drink deeply at its waters. Refresh yourself in the forgiveness that is yours because of the finished work of Christ. You don't aim at the workaholism, ladies and gentlemen. You aim at the belief system that is 
fueling the workaholism because you don't start with conduct. You start with thinking. Keep on being renewed, transformed. Come on. So you're drinking a little bit too much, are you? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of bankruptcy? Is that what's fueling all this alcohol? Do you not know that the only debt that can ruin you is sin? And that your sin has been paid for? Do you see, ladies and gentlemen? You don't address the drinking. Because as a man thinks, so he drinks. Um, Pornography. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I have seen men give every heroic effort that they can possibly muster up to overcome this this attachment to pornography. They go to week-long clinics. They go out to Arizona. They go to Nashville. They go to all these clinics. And they come home, and they're fine for about eight weeks. You don't start with conduct. This, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, second clause, is the very guts of the whole sanctification process. This is what you've got to understand, ladies and gentlemen. The more the mind is renewed, the more behavior changes. It doesn't start on the outside and work its way in. It starts on the inside and works its way out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the beauty of the Christian message. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not into this to be morally reformed. We're in this to be transformed, completely made new. And that happens when the mind is renewed by the truth of this book. Our Father, I do pray that you will make that clear where I've muddled it and that you would um, make it so graspable by every person in this room so that we can begin to make some progress in becoming like Jesus Christ. Lord, um, some of us are uh, are good rule keepers. Some of us like just being conservative. And yet, oh God, that has nothing to do with transformation. And so will you remind us that what we need is to have a mind that's made new, transformed, metamorphosed by the truth of your word. Lord, um, maybe a Bible study will help. Maybe it won't. But Lord, would you give us um, a great appetite to address the, uh, the flaws in our character, not by um, 
the grinding out of our will, but by a, a renewal of our minds. I ask that, O oh God, for me and for everybody listening, use this great statement on the part of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give us a grasp, to give us a, some marching orders as to how we might become more like Jesus Christ. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, guys, and good night.